What does true wellness mean to you? I'm Claudia Cometa, and that is the question I will be leading with in the Minding Wellness podcast. Each and every week, I will bring you experts who will share their personal wellness journeys and their insights into what it means to mind our wellness. Health is a state of body. Wellness is a state of being. Let's dive into improving our state of being. This week on the Minding Wellness Podcast, I'm honored to bring you Jane Whitlock. Jane is an end-of-life doula. She supports dying people and their caregivers physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Mostly, she just listens. She came to this work from being a caregiver to her husband, who died after a four-month illness with kidney cancer. Her insights and perspective shifts on the way we see the process and fact of dying really inspired me to work on my own mindset around this concept. I think you'll find this so valuable. In fact, I'm working with her on a potential second episode. Enjoy. All right. I am so honored to have Jane Whitlock with me today on the Minding Wellness Podcast. We have such a sensitive but important topic to talk about today. And when I came across her work, I actually read an article that she wrote that was shared on social media. And interestingly enough, as I reached out to her, I explained this to her that I have intentionally removed myself from social media for the last three months. And so it was what would be seemingly a fluke, although I don't believe that, that I ran across this article because I really had no intention to be on Facebook. I just was on there for another reason. This article popped up. I read it and I immediately reached out to her, sort of found how I could reach out to her, reached out to her, wasn't sure if she'd respond or think I was crazy. She was kind enough to respond and be open to an interview. And I really am excited to bring this topic to you. So thanks for being here, Jane. Oh, so happy to be here. Yeah, I really am so grateful for your time. I'm grateful for this article that you wrote that I know has been shared many times and is um, really striking a chord with so many. So before we get into that part, let's go with the question that I ask everyone, which was, what does true wellness mean to you? I love that question. And I probably don't think about it as much as I should. Um, I think true wellness, to me at this point in my life, means really sticking to my soul's journey, whatever that is. And, 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 uh, which I think a lot of it is a journey of self-acceptance and self-discovery and self-compassion and quieting all the voices that want to stretch you off that path. Uh, and that, you know, if you'd asked me this question 10 years ago, I would have had a completely different answer. Um, but that is my, that's my definition of wellness. I love all of that. And I completely agree that my definition, um, I don't even know that I would have had a definition, honestly, 10 years ago, I think I would have lumped health and wellness together as sort of just these parallel concepts. And it would have just been about strictly the the body health. And um, so I, I am definitely appreciating the verbiage that you're using with regard to self-acceptance, self-discovery, and self-compassion. And I'm all about quieting the voices. Part of that for me, like I mentioned, is quieting the external noise with, you know, sort of tuning out some of the social media, but I think we also have a lot of internal voices too. So I am on board with all of that. So let's get started with 
your backstory, because a lot of people who might be listening might be thinking, well, I, had, I haven't read the article. I don't know what the backstory is. And I will be sharing a link to the article in the show notes. But let's kind of start with sort of your backstory and how you sort of found yourself on the journey you're on now with the role of an end-of-life doula. Okay. Um, well, I like to say that I was normal before. I had a normal job and normal kids and normal busy life. And then my husband um, got sick with kidney cancer. And basically, after a very quick four months, um, died from it. And that experience, I had zero experience with death. I had never seen a dead body. I had never been with someone who was dying. I had never no close friends had terminal illnesses that I was really close with. And so I went through this experience supported by hospice in his last two months. And hospice is amazing. And I'm so thankful for those people who are so skilled about death and dying that can kind of shepherd people like me. Um, but at the same time, I was profoundly aware that it wasn't enough. And probably it wasn't enough because I was so ill-equipped. Um, I had been, I had sheltered myself and been sheltered from death my whole life, and that combined with the fact that, you know, your person wants to stay at home and you are the caregiver. It's just this overwhelming responsibility, um, and hospice really is kind of hamstrung by resources, so they can't be there as often as I needed them to be there. Um, so I went through that experience and I made Rob make a plan for me before he died. We had kids, uh, they were nine and 12 at that time. And I was like, make me a plan. What am I going to do? He was the driver in our relationship. I was the happy passenger. I like, you know, did all the non big decision making and I was totally happy in that role. And he said, you know, go back to school, get a master's, make more money, have the same schedule as the boys, be a you know, PE teacher. But after he died, I had this just epiphany that life is so ridiculously short, shorter than we ever allow ourselves to realize. And I really wanted to know why I'm here. So I decided to follow my intuition. And that was a great. I had never done any kind of exercises around following intuition. And uh, it led me to just read about grief and dying and death and hospice. And then I heard about end-of-life doulas who are non-medical people who provide physical, spiritual, and emotional support to dying people and their caregivers. And the end-of-life doula movement grew out of hospice. There were people, social workers and nurses in hospice who were working and feeling like this is not enough. We can see the gaps in our care, but we can't do anything about it because we are constrained by Medicare. So I did the training and uh, became an end-of-life doula and made my website and hit publish. And I thought, now we're all done. Just waiting for the phone to ring. <laughs> of course, it never rang because no one, even people who are in hospice don't want to talk about death. They don't want to think about death. So of course, no one's going to call an end-of-life doula. Um, so I've, now I've sort of morphed into a death educator. 
Oh, so interesting. First, let me just express my sincere condolences. I um, similarly went through a shift after my dad died and I, um, you know, it, it's such a significant event in life. One that, as you talk about, we are all going to experience, but many of us have been sheltered by, and um, I truly am so sorry to hear about your husband. I didn't realize your kids were that age. At any age, it's difficult. Uh, mine's 11 right now, so I can imagine how difficult that was for you to navigate that for yourself and for your kids and any other family members that were involved as well. So first and foremost is um, just thinking about you and the emotions that you must have been going through and, and to be able to see through all of that and give yourself into and sort of surrender to this intuition that, that there is something else that you were supposed to be doing. And I, I just love the work that you do. And I don't know that there's enough awareness of what death educators, end of life doulas do. So I know you talked that it talked about how it came out of hospice and an, and a assessment and identification of some gaps in their ability to be as present as possible. So can you kind of talk a little bit about the difference for those who maybe don't even have experience with hospice, but know what it is, what the difference would be between the sort of streamlined traditional hospice approach and service versus what an end of life doula does? Okay. Um, Well, to set the stage today, eight out of 10 people want to die at home. And I always say eight out of 10 caregivers are completely uh, ill-prepared for that. They have no idea what it entails. I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about what what hospice is. So that's a great question. And I appreciate having the opportunity to sort of set the stage for people. So hospice, you get hospice services when you have been given a diagnosis of six months or less to live. And there's community hospice where they will come support you in your home, but there are also hospice facilities that you can go to and be taken care of. Um, They have doctors, nurses, social workers, chaplains, uh, volunteers, and I think some hospices do have home health aides, but that's not uniform. So you're at your home and in general, you'll have a nurse visit once a week and then you can sign up for other services like maybe massage therapy or music therapy or pet therapy. And those people as well could come once a week. So in the, the rule of thumb is that hospice is there 5% of the time and people do not understand that. So caregivers frequently as someone is getting more ill are spending a lot of time up all night giving meds that need to be giving every four or six hours or dealing with lots of people who are dying the night is the worst time so they have a ton of anxiety um rob used to have these panic attacks he had kidney cancer that went to his lungs so he had respiratory issues um and he would knock on the the wall he was in his own room because um, he had this horrible cough. Anyway, he would knock on the wall if he wanted me to come in and then I would come in and I would like open a window and put a fan on his face and give him a massage and like talk him down. Um, this is what caregivers are doing. You're doing that every night. And then in the day you're, you know, sleeping when you can. Um, so it's just this, it's a lot on caregivers that they don't see coming. There's, these pitfalls. So one of the other gaps is toileting. So people don't fully understand that at some point they are going to be bed bound and they are going to be unable 
to get up to get to the bathroom and there has to be a plan in place for that before it happens but there frequently there isn't so you're at home this exhausted caregiver the person has to go to the bathroom there is no plan in place and most of the time that person tries to get out of bed and then they have a fall and frequently the family member cannot get them back into bed so they have to call the you know fire department and then it creates this huge chasm of anxiety and no confidence that you can do this anymore um and another big pitfall is um be well i guess it's part of the same thing it's that the bed bound thing where your body becomes so frail and so weak that you can't get up and do anything so there's showering there's all these considerations and you can hire a home health aide to help with that, but it is in general not part of hospice services. Mm, very interesting and very helpful to sort of lay that out as far as what hospice, I, I didn't even realize the percentage of time. I mean, I, I know just from experience that there is such a need for additional services, but I really hadn't heard the the 5% of the time. I think that puts it into a lot of perspective. So what would, what does it look like to have an end of life doula involved, you know, just from a time perspective, does it, does it change based on need or, or request? What, what uh, does that look like? The amount of time the doula stays with you is really dependent on the client. They get to decide. And, you know, I work with a team of other doulas. So if they want round the clock help, we can do that. Um, you know, part of what the caregiver needs is that non-medical support. For me, I had like a hamster brain where I was so anxious about how this disease was going to progress, what symptoms I was going to be expected to manage. That was not something that hospice offered to me. I think, I think that, okay, so in our society, we have this bubble called death and nobody talks about it and we all tip around it and we don't really know what's inside there because we don't want to look. And when someone is dying, they sort of get pushed into that bubble and we don't know how to deal with them and we don't know how to talk to them and we don't know how to support them. And hospice sort of gets their hands tied because they get called into much later than they want to. The average stay in hospice in this country is 11 to 17 days. You know, they could be there for six months learning about death, learning how to do all this stuff. But no, we go to them in our biggest crisis after we have a fall. There are intense symptoms to be managed. Um, yeah, so so definitely large sort of gaping holes in in what hospice is able to provide with the funding they have and the way that it's set up. And with end of life doulas, it sounds like you would meet with the the client, probably a family member of the the person who is is actively dying, and then sort of decide on okay, what are some of your needs? What are some of the times that you need us? And then and it's and it's mostly non medical. You would say. Right, right. I mean, in the first meeting, you're generally doing, no, my dog is barking. You're generally dealing with the client. Um, the person who's dying is your primary client, ideally, if they're still able to talk and function and think clearly. And what, there's many things we can do. We can work on legacy work. We can work on um, creating a death plan. That's birth doulas. If people are familiar with that, frequently make birth plans with their clients about all the different um, choices you have to make around a birth to make it your own. So 
death doulas do a similar thing where they make a vigil plan. Like, how can you be supported? Like, where do you want to be? What do you want it to look like? You know, do you want to be in the sunroom surrounded by your favorite artwork? Or I had a client who put up all her favorite poems and she got special lotions that she loved the smell of and she got pajamas she loved and flowers. Um, so there's ways that we can make the atmosphere really comforting. And that's not necessarily that something that people think about intuitively. So that's something that the doula can help with setting that up and then just supporting. It's not necessarily in the middle of things, you're supporting the caregivers to support their loved ones. So a, a phrase that we use frequently is holding space. So the doula can make this container uh, where the people inside feel safe and supported and secure. And when they get anxious and when they get panicked, they can kind of, the doula can see that and remind them, like, you're doing it right. People always want to know if they're doing it right. There's so many ways to do it right. Um, but people need to be reminded of that when this um, experience that they don't have a lot of uh backlog they have frequently one of the first questions I ask people is what's your experience with death even dying people I ask this and they will say nothing I've never been with someone who died because we shy away from it so much so uh, the duel is just there to sort of provide this um uh like it's sort of just like this warm embrace that you can do it that you're doing fine and they're there to step in if you need a nap or if you need a home-cooked meal or maybe uh, they they need respite and you can give feet rub and hand rubs to the person who's dying or you can read them their favorite story. Frequently people like to be read to from their childhood favorite stories. I've read Snow White to someone. Um, I read this book that was falling apart. It was like from the 1930s and it had the woman had written her name in that cute little four-year-old way you write your name. Mm -hmm. And I was reading her that story. Um, so there's a lot of things that can be done to enhance this experience that don't ever, um, people. it doesn't occur to people. It sure didn't occur to me. Really interesting on so many levels. It sounds like there's a lot of parallels in what questions come up similarly to, you know, parents and moms giving birth. You know, we don't, we feel like we don't know if we're doing parenting right pretty much all of the time. And um, so I, I see those parallels and it's, it's really very interesting. And I, I completely understand it from both sides, you know, both sides. Cause I have you know, obviously I'm an parent and I, I did watch my dad die. And I, um, I often thought, should I, you know, what else should I be doing? What could I be doing? What have I done wrong? And I, I see those parallels. Um, and, and I could see how, how many people would go and go through that sort of talk and, and, and it's so nice to have that reassurance. So I think this is such an important, important role to play. And I, I love that we're just hopefully spreading more awareness. And I'm, I'm hoping that more people are getting involved in that role as, you know, a calling for their own lives, because I think it's, it's so impactful. Let's dive in a little bit to your, this article that I think is, is, it's just so great. It's not even a lengthy article. So for somebody who's listening and is thinking, I have no time to read, it's, it's not lengthy, but it is packed with so much amazing insights that will sort of help you pivot your your thought process around death because it is something that we 
often shy away from shelter our our loved ones from you know we shelter our kids from from the death that we're experiencing so that they grow up and they aren't experiencing it either so i'm just going to read a, a few things from your article and then we can kind of expand on the concept but you you say if we treated death as we treat birth death would take its rightful and valued place in the circle of human experiences by doing this in cases when death is not sudden and being prepared, even if death does come suddenly, the end of life would be a time not of fear and anxiety, but of love and connection and a time to access our deepest emotions. For those who remain, this vulnerability would segue into our grief. So can you talk a little bit about your, you know, this article, how it came about and what sort of these expand on the concepts of treating death like birth. Mm -hmm. um, the art of modern loss reached out to me. They had seen my TED talk and they said, can you write an article for us? That's an expansion of the metaphor of birth and death. Um, so that's why I wrote the article. Um, you know, I think death is an opportunity uh, for deep transformation. And I think we miss out on it when we don't think about it ahead of time. Um, because I think you can go through the experience in denial. I just heard the greatest quote about denial, that denial is a, this big comfy blanket that we wrap around ourselves to protect ourselves until we're ready. And I love that. Like that, what a great function. So denial has a function. But unfortunately, when we're talking about death, we never take the cloak off. So you can actually die with never having thought about it. You know, I, I've had people in hospice who, you know, the man was bed bound. He could barely like link words together because his, his he was so addled. And the his wife was elbowing him saying, we're going to kick this cancer's butt. And I thought, no, we're not. This we're, we're in this moment with this person. This is when we tell each other how much we mean to each other or what parts of, you know, our lives were hard with each other or to come to some final resolution. I, there's a story about a salt doll that I think is a perfect analogy for what death could be. And it's, there's this salt doll that traveled miles and miles and miles over the desert and arrives at, a, at the shore of a sea and has never seen the ocean. And it's, it's just fascinated by this strange moving mass, unlike anything it's ever seen. And the, the salt doll says, who are you to the sea? And the sea smiling says, come in and see. And so the salt doll wades into the sea further and further and it dissolves more and more until it's just barely a whisper of itself and then the salt doll explains now i know what i am mm -hmm. and i think that's what death does it strips down all these identities that we have made for ourselves that are jobs and status and relate you know who we're connected to and it, it, we become just our elemental selves and in that state, we can be so vulnerable and so sweet and so open and so healing for each other. Um, apologizing for our shortcomings, of course, we all have things to apologize for because we're not perfect. And, and we miss those opportunities to tell someone how much you really love them and how you're going to miss them and how you are going to carry them and what their life meant to you. Um, so I think it's this hallowed ground it is, it's a time, birth and death are times when we drop out of ordinary, busy planning time. Mm 
into this other time. And anyone who, is, when you sat with your father, anyone who has sat with someone knows exactly what I'm talking about. It is this opportunity. And if you are sitting there elbowing your person saying, we're going to kick this cancer's butt, you are missing out on it. So um, I just feel very, very strongly that death is, is not something to be avoided. It is something to be embraced. I think about death every single day, multiple times a day. I talk to my ancestors. I ask for guidance. It's, it's woven into the fabric of my life and it makes me a better person and it grounds me in the moment. And um, I, I feel like the way we treat death is also the way we treat grief. We keep it at arm's length. We, we, don't want to deal with it. We want to keep it under control. I think that's another facet of being a doula that is really important. I've had clients tell me that the most important thing I did for them is after the death. That is a huge now what moment for hospice as well as families. Hospice does not do anything after the time of death. Um, maybe they'll say, you know, a, a, the benediction or something, but I think it's really up to who your nurse is, who's with you. If the nurse is even there, frequently they are not there at time of death. So as a doula, that's a time when I would hold space. I could, you know, gather the family together and maybe I light a candle to symbolize that now this person is spirit. They are no longer body. They are spirit represented by this candle. And maybe every person has a flower and I will say a blessing or a, a prayer of gratitude for this person's life. Frequently, I ask the family to create their own prayer of gratitude while they were sitting vigil. So they have something at the time of death. And we read the, the prayer and maybe everybody puts a flower, you know, with the person and maybe they all light a candle from that original candle and they take those candles home so they can create uh, a, a place of memorial in their home with a photo and some flowers and the candle. And the Buddhists believe for the first 50 days after a death, every time you walk by that, that photo, you send them uh, good wishes for their journey. And that's so healing for our grief. It's such a way, a physical way to um, show people who come and visit that you're grieving. You have this... You have this memorial altar to this person. Um, so that is another big part of doula work is grief companioning. You know, we are not therapists or counselors, but in our grief, in this society that wants you to get over it, that rewards you for soldiering on, that rewards you for not falling apart, which I just can't wrap my head around. Um, it's the doula's job to give people permission I tell, I tell them, you have been cleaved in half. You have lost a limb. You would not expect someone who lost a limb to go to the grocery store, to go back to work. They would need to heal. You know, and it's really soul healing, which is a kind of healing that we're not actually very familiar with. Um, and for me, nature is like my best companion in soul healing. So um, as a grief companion for my clients, I, I listen. I just listen and I give them permission to fall apart and caregivers who have been caregiving for a prolonged amount of time have had to compartmentalize their grief for so long and they have had to armor up to do the work they had to do that when the person dies frequently it's very difficult for them to take that armor off you know so that's my job I'm, I, I peel off that armor I say you're stronger than you should be you need to 
you know, be more compassionate and gentle with yourself. I, I think grief is this energy. We can feel it in our body and it wants to come up. That's the, that's the movement of grief. It is up and out. And what we do is we tamp it down. I've talked to so many widows who say they feel like they have a lead apron under their neck. They can't cry. They feel uh, nothing because they push it down so long. Mm -hmm. Sorry, my dog is working. No, you're good. You're good. It's, it's real life, right? It's real life. It's all, it's all so important. And I think that we know why we both can probably appreciate the fact that it's hard to really understand the significance of this until you live through it. So it may be that, you know, somebody listening, um, kind of gets it from a logical standpoint, but it's hard to just really get it from a deep understanding without going through it. But those who have gone through it, I think this may come across as so refreshing that maybe they thought some of these things and they're, and it's just so nice to hear a non-societal view of, you know, not soldiering on and really allowing somebody to help you. I think even allowing somebody to help us is so non-societal for, you know, for a lot of women in general, but just people, it's like, no, I'll, I'll just figure it out. Like I figure everything else out. And it's just so nice to have somebody to walk this path with us. I love how you said in your TEDx talk that we should let our soul drive with the ego in the back seat and let death ride shotgun. Can you kind of expand on that concept? I think that's such a great visual and concept. Yeah, well, I have to give credit where credit is due. Um, I Deborah Silverman is my astrologer, and she uh, is that's her metaphor is that the ego should be in the back seat and the soul should be driving, and that is really our work here on earth is to just to make sure that happens. So, um, someone gave me an astrology reading six months after Rob died, and it was profound, it was like seeing myself from an aerial view, the way she described every, all my kind of proclivities. And uh, anyway, so I like that metaphor. And then when I was trying to end the TED talk, I was thinking death is the ultimate shotgun passenger because death is the one that keeps the soul in the driver's seat and, and, and keeps the ego like, yeah, we all need an ego to survive and operate in the world. Yes. But the ego does not get to drive. And death is the reminder that you are not your ego, you are your soul. And your ego is gonna, you know, I do this death meditation with people um, where I basically simulate them dying. I go, I do a life review with them and then I have them lie down and uh, I have a friend who plays the drums, at, which is sort of signifying your heartbeat and we do it in a quiet, darkened room and it's the elements are leaving your body first. It's the earth element and your ability to support yourself and be grounded and strong. And then it's water and air and fire. And, um, oh, and, and part of the earth element is I have these people, you are unable to move your limbs anymore. You are heavy, you are inert. And they look to their bedside table and they see their keys and their wallet and they realize none of that matters to me. That, mm. Those are like foreign objects that have absolutely no use to me. I have no emotional connection to them. They're not important because that's just the journey of death. The stuff that you have held so important falls away. That's why I always say the Grim Reaper is really our most buddhist friend because the grim reaper is severing your attachments you know you you get sick with an illness you, you know eventually you can no longer work severs that attachment um, eventually you are no longer 
in charge of your family affairs, all the passwords, all the computer stuff. That doesn't matter. That attachment is severed. And gr the Grim Reaper keeps cutting all these cords to prepare you to die. There's another phrase I love that says, death comes not for you, but for someone who he makes ready. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. And Rumi says, wash yourself of yourself. So good. So good. So and good. such an amazing um, just visual of seeing a person look at, you know, keys in a wallet and think that's, you know, that has no meaning to me now. These objects that have had so much meaning for so many years, decades, uh, just such important messages. And I love that this has now become part of your life too. I know that there are even apps now that will sort of like notify, remind you throughout the day that you're going to die. And to a lot of people, that sounds insanely morbid. But I, I agree that keeping it front of mind without it becoming a, like an erotic obsession, you know, just keeping it front of mind as we keep, you know, birth in front of mind quite often, it can be so helpful. And to see it in a different light is is such a beautiful gift to so many people. And I'm, I'm so blessed to have the opportunity to interview you. Honestly, I could continue mm -hmm. this conversation for hours, to be perfectly honest, and I actually would love to, um, except that my son's about to hop on for, um, for a class. And um, so I guess he's going to nix that. But before we get off, and hoping that my Wi-Fi can, can stand it, can you talk a little bit about where and how someone can find a death doula? What, what would somebody do to begin the search process? Is there some like, a, you know, crediting board or like, how, how does this work? Okay, so there, great question. There is, at this point, there's not a national accreditation program, but there is NEDA, N-E-D-A, National End of Life Doula Alliance. And they have a directory and you will be able to find, pick your state and find a doula there. Um, there also, every place has death cafes. Um, they might know of where doulas are in your state. The state's have their own groups like I'm part of the Minnesota Death Collaborative so you could go there and find um, information so I would just google like um, end-of-life doulas in your state and I'm sure that you will be able to find them and you really need to you know it's just like a birth doula you need to interview them and have a connection with them and find out what they're every doula sort of has a niche so find out what this doula is good at and if it's the support that you are going to need. Really helpful information. You know what I would love to do is have a sequel where we talk about your learnings from those on their deathbeds. Um, and I, I, I think that that could be a really valuable um, discussion. Mm -hmm. I just um, am forced to succumb to <laughs> virtual school right now. So I'm going to surrender to that <laughs> and um, hope that we can reconnect. But I absolutely love all of the insights that you shared. I know it's going to be valuable to so many and, and it will, I think it will even change in value to some. They might listen to it right now and it may mean one thing and they might listen to right. it in several months and it, and it might bring a whole different meaning. So I appreciate your time, Jane. I really am so grateful for for, for you and the work that you do and, and you giving into this calling and intuition. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs>
A huge thank you to Jane for spending this time with us today and sharing her experience as a death doula and death educator. I just think about myself even five years ago, not even wanting to entertain this topic and how I really honestly could listen to Jane and her insights for several hours because I now see how important it is for us to open the door to these conversations and get more comfortable in speaking about and even honoring and celebrating the process of death. So I so appreciate her time. I look forward to a potential sequel and I hope that you found value in this episode. Join me again next time for more discussions on minding our wellness. Stay safe.